Welcome to Leadership 2020. I'm Claire Carpenter. So I'm joined today by Paul Richmond. Paul is the Group Director of Finance and Resources at Watford Community Housing. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you, Claire. Thank you. Um, so today we're here to talk about how finance can enable better decision making for leaders. And before we do that, actually, I'd really like you to share um, a little bit more of your story of how you've come to this role, because I think there's some an interesting route that you've taken, isn't mm. there? Well, I, I think it's fair to say I, I did it all a bit by accident, where I've got to today, um, and I did it all a bit back to front as well. Um, but I'm, I'm delighted where I am today in my career. But um, it very much came about by me not really having a clue what I wanted to do hmm. about 10, 15 years ago. And I suppose at the time I had a, a kind of a decision point. I was working in finance, but I didn't really want to do finance. And I actually decided to do an MBA because I thought what I need now is a more of a management and leadership toolkit hmm. to support me getting into senior management in which area I'm agnostic about. So I did that for a couple of years, which was fantastic, love my MBA, and I'd really recommend it for the right person at the right time. Um, and I then got off it, and then I thought, I now know what I want to do with my career, I want to be a finance director. Mm. So I actually did it all a bit reverse, and I ended up qualifying in my 30s to be, um, well, I wouldn't say an accountant, but doing the accountancy exams. And then it's just gone progression, progression, step by step up to eventually becoming you know, a finance and resources director, mm. where I've now dragged in other departments from around the business as well. But I always look back and think, I'm delighted I did it that way around, because I'm not sure I'd have survived the finance world and the path I wanted to take had I not done the general management and general leadership development work that I did first on the MBA. And so I think I'm really interested in your view on um, how people fit that level of qualification and study mm, mm. into a busy life. We're in your 30s, mm. you've got a busy life going on as well as a, a, a busy mm. career. Mm. How did you fit your MBA and your accountancy studies into all of that? I'd say compared to some of my peers, the earlier in your career you do it, I think you've got more energy, more resilience and... Um, not having as many children around the house is mm. obviously an advantage as well, because I think when I saw it, some of my you know, peers with families, it was an extra strain, because you are spending days normally away from home, traveling a lot, and it is, um, it is a challenge. But I think the one thing I always say when people think about any significant qualification, like an MBA or like a um, accountancy, is do not even think about doing these unless you're absolutely committed to it and you think it's the right thing to do. Mm. Never drag yourself through a two-year qualification. It's, you know, or do it because your boss has told you to do it or you've seen other people do it and it's helped them. You've got to want to do it yourself because sometimes you do have to dig deep. Yeah. And I remember my first week on the MBA where it was just non-stop. It was a whole residential week and they just throw more work at you than you could. And I remember I had a few moments where I thought, it's just really what I want to do. Mm. And you, know, you grit your teeth and you get through it. And not everyone does get through that first week. But they're looking for that resilience in you to make sure that you can do the full two years. Mm. And, and I hear that word, that resilience word, and that's interesting, mm. isn't it? There's yeah. something about um, that as an expected and necessary quality mm. now in an mm. emerging leader. How do you develop that resilience then? Where does it come from? I mean, I think part of it is personal. I don't think you can always fully train 
to be resilient. Mm. Um, but I think what you can do, um, and when I look at other people who I think are very successful, is there's two things. Number one is being able to identify yourself when you are under strain and under stress. Some people just almost ignore it and just keep on working through it. And I think knowing that you're in a tough place is important. And then the second bit is what's your release? You know, and everyone has their own different releases, but you need something where you can just do something which just takes your mind off everything. You know, my, my current things are playing football badly, but still playing football and enjoying it. And also I like to paint as well. And again, when you do these things, you just forget about everything else that's going on in the world. And you need something like that. Because if you just sit at home every night, feeling a bit wound up, watching a bit of Netflix, and then just waking up angry again, you know, it's not really, you're not really getting through it. And I think that's what I always say to people who are, you know, really feeling it is, what's your release? Okay, good advice. Thank you. Mm. And there's all, I mean, we're not here to talk about um, sort of necessarily balancing life and so on. And mm. Um, mm. I'm horribly pedantic about not saying work-life balance because I think life <laughs> and work are, you know, yep, yep. the same thing. Absolutely. Aren't they? We, we live and part of our life is at work. Yeah. But that said, I think that's really good advice for people. Mm. It's hard to fit everything in, um, mm. but looking after ourselves really matters, doesn't mm. it? So, th- so thinking about um, your role then as a finance leader, mm. um, some emerging leaders listening um, today might mm. be thinking, oh, finance, that's a, that's a scary world to be mm. part of. What do you say to that for people perhaps who don't have an ex- any experience or training in the finance sector? Mm. I mean, I would, I, I think it's definitely worth consideration. Again, it's like everything, don't go into it for the wrong reasons. But if if you find you've got an affinity to thinking about, uh, and particularly on numerical-based challenges, uh, I think you need an element of curiosity and an element of you want to work through problems. If that does work for you and you're quite, you find numeracy and that kind of literacy quite easy, then I think it's definitely worth considering. I think it's a, a partial fault of the sector. But once you do get qualified, it is a bit of a badge of um, you know capability in the industry. It, uh, there's many people I've met who aren't qualified who are incredibly capable in this world and there's many people who I've met who are qualified who I think, how on earth did you do that? But at the end of the day, it does probably have a lot of weight, that qualification, and that's why a lot of people do it. Mm. It does open doors. And ultimately that's why I went into the full qualified. It wasn't because I needed the technical development, it was because if you really want to go up to the top rungs in the world we live in today of finance, it does help to have that qualification. Mm. But I think it is a great world. Every company needs finance. Every company needs better quality finance people as well. Mm. And I think you know you, you talk about you know the risk of automation and everything, and there will be some elements of finance that maybe will be lost in years to come through automation and machine learning. But the decision support the high quality analysis, that bit is always going to remain a core part of what you need in every organisation. So I'm interested in um, your ideas, Paul, about how a finance professional can um, work on some of the softer skills of leadership. So for example, in particular, thinking about communication, building relationships, those kind of things, and what impact Mm. that has on their position um, in the leadership team. I think it's a changing element of finance. I think there's a a lot which in the past has been finance has been very much around we just produce 
you know, we're, we're almost a factory, we're, we're an evidential part of the team. Um, whereas I think it's a lot moving now towards decision support mm-hmm. and really actually being part of the solution. And I don't mean that in a kind of catchphrase type of way. I think um, when finance isn't working well, and I've seen this a lot, they become the referee. So they like to sit on the sidelines and say, you can do that, you can't do that, this is good, this is bad. Mm. Yeah, I've been guilty of that myself you know, at points in my career. Whereas I think where a lot of um, finance teams are moving to is providing that quality of decision support. So not saying you can and can't do this, but look, if we do this, this will be the impact. These are the risks we need to manage. And the key thing is, this is what I'll be expecting from you in the future. Mm. So the great challenges finance directors always have is they have an unlimited demand for budget, money, resources, whatever it is. You can set yourself up as a yes or no function. You know, so they all will say you can do that. And some FDs like doing that. It's kind of, there's a bit of a power and cachet that goes with that. But I think where a lot more are moving towards now is actually saying, well, okay, let's understand all of these. We can look at the relative merits of them. We can prioritize them. But also, let's not forget, if you're telling me you need five people, for example, and it's going to give me an X hundred grand's worth of revenue next year, we will be coming back and talking about that revenue in a year's time. And it's about keeping that dialogue going. So rather than all these binary decisions, it's about saying, let's build this plan together. I will support you, but I will also make you accountable for what you're saying you're going to deliver. And I think that's a more mature way of engaging with a leadership team. Because when you do end up on that, no, I don't think we should do things, at times you, you can feel a bit isolated as well. You know, it's about trying to work with the rest of the leadership team because they want to do everything. So thinking about how you um, develop that advisory relationship with mm. your chief executive or your managing director, have you seen differences in the sectors that you've worked in in terms of how that, how that worked for you? I mean, I'd say in financial services, I think finance is more in the kind of the, the heart of the um, organization. Probably it's a bit more naturally there just because it is such a strongly financial, um, financially aware sector. It has um, very large teams. It will also, you'll find areas like strategy mm. can sit within finance as well rather than sitting in a more kind of development or um, operational area. So I think finance is a bit more all encompassing. And that can mean that, you know, it is a very much, because everything is numerically driven, it is all about shareholder return, it is about growth, it's about sales. Finance, by definition, is very well uh, positioned in that to have a large say. You compare that to, uh, I suppose, the last few years I spent in not-for-profit, I think it's starting to go that way. But I'd say there's still quite a bit more which is around, well, finance is here to transact and record, monitor, um, as opposed to be a thought leadership area. I think that is changing. I think as not-for-profits are working out, they need to get more complicated. Uh, they need to think a lot more um, in a much more sophisticated way about how they raise funds, how they, uh, um, for the housing sector I work in, how they raise debt to um, build new homes. There's a lot more financial strategy. Uh, it's not just about, you know, can I survive one year to the next? In which case you are focused a lot more on operational performance. What advice would you give somebody um, thinking about upskilling themselves, if you um, Mm. will forgive that horrible word, to um, take on the role of a finance director? So somebody who's perhaps a financial controller now, Mm. thinking about stepping up into that, you know, top Mm. role in finance. 
What advice would you give them about how they go about that? It is a big jump. Mm. Um, I certainly felt that when, when I did it first time around. And it's not just a jump from an ability jump, it's in a jump from a perceptions position as well. So there's a lot of people who are financial controllers who are itching to get to FD. Mm. And this is, I'd, I'd put myself in this mix, who then don't have that perception in the wider business that they're ready for it yet. And part of your challenge isn't just being technically ready, it's about building that profile and that um, perception in the business that you have got a broader skill set because when you get to FD it is around leadership, it's around being able to network effectively, influence decisions and also deliver difficult news at times as well. And that bit is not everyone wants to do that and you do need a certain appetite for that if you want to go to that level. You are going to occasionally have conflict. It's up for you to determine how collaborative that is versus how negative Mm. but you are going to have times when you're going to need difficult conversation and it's around whether you are happy and open to doing that Mm. the other bit is around managing a team because the one thing which i can guarantee you will happen if you get to finance director is by the time you've got to this level there will be people underneath you no matter what size company you're in who you cannot do their job and there is a bit of change as you grow in your um, career where you go from I'm managing people because I can do their job and I was the best one so I've been promoted and then I've been promoted but you can still do their jobs there is that leap of faith at some point where you end up managing actuaries tax specialists you know accounts payable experts whatever they are and you look at them and you think I think you're really valuable and I think you're a great asset to this company and I could never do your job but I need to manage you well and I need to lead you as well and that's the additional challenge you've got is you cannot just hide behind management and technical management, which I think you can sometimes at FC, when you get to the next level up, you've got to really be thinking about how do I lead this department as well. And so that's really interesting, isn't it? Because I think, and I know from your own role, um, that often the finance director um, sits across a breadth of departments, not just Mm. finance. So IT, HR, Mm. um, facilities, all sorts Mm. of different areas. And that would be true of that, wouldn't it? These are people who, skilled specialists in their area that you you are not. Yeah, and it's always, um, it can be quite sobering when you look at, you know, what you're responsible for versus what your own individual experiences and expertise. And And I think that is the key bit about leadership is how are you going to effectively work with people who are, you know, very different to you? Um, both technically in careers background, but also in terms of um, you know, their behaviours and their drivers. Mm. But I think when you look across the whole kind of support services, all of those different areas, you know, corporate services as they're sometimes called, all of them operate on the same principles, that you need to be confident in your foundations. You need to really go through that with a fine tooth comb. The same principles apply in terms of your HR processes, your IT deliverables, your finance processes, all of that, you need to focus on your foundations. And then you need to focus on the more business facing elements around decision support, and also around your strategy, which a lot of that will be driven by how do I take things forward, both from the processes point of view, and also from your systems as well. And they're all scary areas that many are new to you, but it's about working with your team, because you can't be an island on this, it's about working with your whole team. When you um, went through that experience yourself, Mm. 
how did you seek support? How did you get help to see you through that and help you to assimilate all of those skills? I mean, I, I've personally seen the benefit of coaching is one way. I think you do need external sounding boards. It will be very rare you'll have someone within your organisation when you're at that level who is going to be a perfect coachy or, 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 or mentor for you. Mm. One thing which worked fantastically for me when I was um, particularly in my early stages of, of growth was actually having a co-coaching with one of my uh, ex-MBA members as well, where we could both bring our woes and our challenges and we, we were a great sounding board for each other. Great. And I do think having that external perspective outside of work is really important, particularly when in these roles you will have on a, not a, a very regular basis, but you will have times where you've got very difficult people situations, where you've got challenges, be it in terms of personality clashes or be it in terms of ways of working where you've got to set down what you believe in and what you want and that is not always going to go down well with everyone and you're not being paid to accommodate everything you're being paid to deliver something and deliver in the way you see best and that is probably out of everything exams are tough you know lectures seminars development can be tough it's people challenges are always the most draining thing out of everything and it's about having the support on those as much as anything else yeah, I think that's really good advice, and to and to also know that it's okay to seek seek that mm, level of support. Mm. You know, you're not born with that innate knowledge. You can learn it, mm, can't you? Mm. And in your um, academic studies, in your MBA or in your um, SEMA qualifications, how did you find those supported your capacity to sort of make that change? I mean, I think the MBA was fantastic in that regard. It focused a lot on team working. Mm. It focused a lot on um, quite high pressured team tasks as well, which made you work with people. And the one thing about any MBA, you will be with a lot of very um, strong minded individuals who all have their own opinions on things. And if you can persuade and work collaboratively with an MBA cohort, you know, who are difficult people, myself included, um, then that puts you in fine stead. I'd say an accountancy qualification is is much more technical and practical, and it's certainly very worthwhile. Um, but ultimately, you need to do the textbook stuff and then apply it in the real, real world, because if you don't combine the two, you very quickly forget a lot of what you've learned there. Yeah. Um, but certainly, the stuff I remember from the MBA, it wasn't the marketing, the strategy, the economics. It was the personal development and the uh, the teamwork element, which you know I, I, I kind of uh, remember to this day. Yeah. So um, just thinking about the nuance of finance supporting decision making, mm. I mean, evidently you you're, you are working with the the mm. core of the business, the nuts mm. and bolts of it, aren't you? How well do you see um, your colleagues in different business streams making use of that information? The key um, challenge is, is making them see you as part of the solution. Mm -hmm. So they will always have problems. They will always have issues to work through. Mm. But it's making them want to come to you. I think if you if you have this kind of very much the finance is the bad copper for business, people tend to hide things. They tend to squirrel away the issues until they're too late to deal with. And similarly, if they have good news, they won't tell you about the good news because they want to keep it up their sleeve in case other things go wrong. And you have this kind, you can have this kind of breakage between where finance is and the real business is because you've got all this static and noise in between. 
if you can work on a much more um, uh, kind of open relationship and you can say, look, if you've got bad news, come and talk to me about it and we'll sort it, we'll, we'll, we'll work our way around it. I'm going to make you responsible for that turnaround plan yeah. and we'll keep focusing on it, but we'll help you on it. Yeah, but one of the things I said to my um, expense team in my current role is, I want you to do a lot more partnering, working with a business on a regular basis, trying to understand and anticipate their problems mm. and have an open dialogue with them about the problems. I said, you'll know when this is successful, when they come to you with good news as well. Because that's when you've actually reached a mature relationship with a business. If they don't share good news with you, then they're still hiding it away and, and actually they don't share the good news because they're worried finance will just take it and rip it off them. And it's kind of that very old fashioned way of, you know, we'll, we'll kind of cut you as lean as we can. Whereas actually, if you can get the right relationship with a business, you'll get an open dialogue. And then that means you as a finance director won't be kind of caught cold when you find out way too late for it to be influenced or really managed about a problem that could have been identified months earlier or even years earlier in some cases. Oh, interesting. I'm thinking about um, how many middle managers in particular mm. um, do have that vision of finance, don't they? It's the sort, mm. of, it's the sort of internal policing of mm. their organisation and might be really reticent to come to mm. their finance business partner with a request for information or help. Mm. Mm. So... Um, it's really good to hear that you're encouraging your team to kind of develop those mm. relationships mm. and see that see that shift. Mm. And I think the one step that's coming before this as well, which I think is it is emerging in the sector, I think some people are further ahead along the curve, is actually focusing on business intelligence, mm. which I know there's a lot of buzzwords around in this area. Um, so I'll, I'll kind of use them sparingly, but there is a whole bit now around if you find out a problem for your management accounts, it's already happened and you're dealing with the history and the legacy of that problem. What finance needs to be doing more of is working with business intelligence type approaches of actually, rather than saying, right, okay, you said you're going to sell whatever, two million pounds last month. They need to be, you find that out about three or four weeks into the next month. And it's, it's always historical data. A more modern approach would be looking at the daily trading receipts, the daily information that you can get and actually trying to understand then and there live what is happening and then working with the business. If they do a new product launch, a new promotion, you don't wait six weeks or 12 weeks to really start reporting on it. You get the live data and that needs a full review of your kind of reporting infrastructure and it needs to be the non-financial, it needs to be the volume elements sales data, uh, resource data, you know, uh, marketing codes, whatever it is. So you're getting the insights live, not in the past. And I think it's very easy to do the latter, which is we'll just do our management accounts once a month on working day 15 and all that stuff. But actually the more forward-looking finance teams now will be looking at their core systems and getting business intelligence and you can call them data scientists, data technicians, whatever you want to call them. It's not the identical skill set to a traditional accountant, but it's getting those skills into your business. And it is not necessarily even someone with a financial mind. I mean, a lot of these people end up sitting come somewhere between finance and IT, but it's people who can deal with large data and queries. And again, it's to do decision support. I think that should sit in finance in some degree, but I think you will challenge if you just look 
in a normal traditional finance team to find that. Sometimes you need to bring in and buy in some of that capability as well. So interesting, isn't it? Because I think, you know, like so many other um, career paths, the traditional route of, um, you know, the, the accountancy route into mm. FC and FD, it's changing, isn't it, in terms of the skill set that's required by mm. it. It's important that we change as, uh, at the same time, isn't it? Exactly. Keep growing. So I'm just thinking um, in conclusion, what, what advice would you give somebody who is up and coming um, in the world of finance, perhaps taking on their first team leader or management role? What advice would you give them about how they can be most successful in that? So I think there's a couple of things. I think the first thing is speak the right language to the right audience. Um, I think finance, you can see a lot of finance, um, particularly senior finance professionals who speak kind of one step, you know, they communicate in a certain way, can be very technical. And there is a lot of very technical and complex um, concepts and uh, metrics to handle. But you need to think about what language do I need to engage with for, you know, the real technicians, so my lenders, credit rating agencies, the regulator, the real kind of, you know, kind of technical professionals. There's what language do I need to engage with my exec or board as well. I mean, the bit which I think finance does get wrong more often than not is how do I engage with my staff and my customers as well? And it's particularly the staff bit. If you want people to own your financial plan, then they need to understand it. They need to understand how they contribute to it as well and what makes it up. You know, there's no point talking about we need to hit this amount of you know, return on capital employed or whatever. If you don't then break that down into what does that actually mean and how am I contributing? And that's both your team, how do they contribute, but also the wider business. So I think there's a whole bit around the language that we use in finance. The other thing is when I started, I was very young, very hungry and ambitious, and I wanted a team underneath me that was very hungry and ambitious. And actually, the one thing you get, the more you work in finance, is you want talent, you want ambition within your team, you want people who are you know, curious, who are driven, but actually also enjoy and be happy you've got people who are content and who are at the right level and who just enjoy doing what they're doing. Because you get a lot of that in finance. You get people who are very happy to run a management accounts, run an accounts payable process, and actually don't see that as a problem. See that as a great thing, and they can be a real asset to the company. And you need to think very differently about how do I motivate and engage those people versus how do I motivate and engage someone who's kind of me three years earlier, who thinks then the next star. You know, it's it's very different. And don't just you know force people to do qualifications or say you should be doing this, you should be doing that. Actually. They will have other drivers, and it, a lot. I think the real emerging thing now is things like work flexibility. Mm. So a lot, it's just going up and up the agenda. So I think look at your team, look about what you need to add to the team, but then think really carefully about how do I motivate the team, and don't just try and get a one size fits all team. In, enjoy the diversity in the team, and actually that will be to your benefit. Yeah. Such good advice, thank you. Um, And thank you so much for your time today. That's been such a fascinating conversation, so thank you. It's been a pleasure, thank you. Thanks for listening, and if you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Smart Speaker, or wherever you get your podcasts. And please leave a rating and review to help others find out about the show. This is a Podo podcast, produced by Nick Hilton in association with Corndell. Thank you.